Okay, so this morning I'm not going to direct you to a specific scripture. I'm going to refer to several, and uh, I just ask you to kind of bear with me. So you remember from the previous message last week that we began a new series of messages called Run to Win, and in the message last week we remembered that we're, why we're running, where we're running, how we're running, and what is the prize. So let's just review that really quickly. So we're running to win, and the why is because God has a purpose for your life, and your, your best journey, your best race is run with purpose. You know, can you imagine a bunch of Olympic athletes running around and around and around in the stadium, and finally one of the guys leans over to the other and he says, so what are we running for anyway? <laughs> what? Well, we got three more laps and then we win. You know, somebody wins. Oh, really? <laughs> I just thought it looked like fun. I mean, could you imagine that? Seriously, that's why we run. Because we're running to win by following God's purpose for our lives. And each one of us has a purpose that God has in mind for us. Nobody here came by accident into this life. Now, the where, well, we're running home. We're running home. You remember when Forrest Gump was running all over the country and then he just stopped, right? And all these people were following him, kind of like the one I just described. They're all just kind of running with him because it just felt like a, he knew what he was doing. And he says, I think I'll go home now, <laughs> you know, and he did. So where are we running? We're running home. Who's home? The Heavenly Father has made a home for us. He, he made a home for us a long time ago, but our, our ancestors got kicked out. And along with getting kicked out, they kind of brought a curse to us, a cup of, a cup of curse. But then God so desired to bring us home again that he sent his son who had a cup of blessing and he exchanged his cup of blessing for our curse. And now we're blessed like the son. And we're welcomed back in the father's house. Where are we running? Home. Home to the father who has prepared a place for us. And Christ our Lord has gone ahead of us to prepare that place and get it ready like a bridegroom readying for the consummation of the marriage. And so he's coming to get us, to take us there. And what we are all about in our race, in our running to win, is going the direction to which, to, to, from which he's coming. You know, we're, we're running to him, he's running to us. He gave us a picture of that, you know, when he told the story of the prodigal son. He said, here's the son, repentant and sorry and ready to come home to the father. But what does the father do? He does something really undignified for the time. He pulls up his skirt and runs as fast as he can to his son. We're running home and the father is running to us. That's where we're running to. And the how, well, that's an interesting question. How isn't so much an instruction that I can give you on how to run the race, although I try every Sunday. It's not so much a training regimen or anything like that. The how is really what other people see in you while you run the race. 
As I told you last week, there are people you've probably invited to church who said, well, you know, I'll see if I give it, I'll give it a try sometime. But secretly in their heart, they're saying, I don't see that it really makes any difference in your life, so why would it make any difference in mine? That hurts. If we're really honest, that hurts. But that says a lot about why people around us don't want to know anything about our Jesus. They don't want to know where we're running because it doesn't look like it's that important to us. So why should it be important to them? So the how is what people see while we're running the race. Do they see us confidently running toward a yet unseen victory line? Do they see us changing our race and adapting and becoming more suited to the destination? One of my very favorite books is also one that a lot of people don't understand, but it's C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. And it describes a person going from the gray near death, but on the other side of death, you know, that gray sort of emptiness that follows and making their way home to the Father. And as they get closer to home to the Father, they get bigger and the world behind gets smaller. And, and, and they have to adapt and become different in order to get to where they're going. So much so that when they turn and look back to where they came from, they can't even see it because it's like a speck in a canyon, you know, so, so this, this really wonderful image of, of the spiritual journey being something that doesn't just happen while you're in the flesh on earth. It's a journey that goes from the day you're born again all the way into eternity. We're heading home to the Father. And the question is, is how far we get on this side of the grave and then how far we get on the other side. Jesus said that we, that he came that we might have abundant life. He said that in John 10, 10, and unfortunately, a lot of us have assumed that that means that he wants us to have lots of stuff and money and power, and that just couldn't be further from the truth. So the how we run the race is not about the abundant life that the world celebrates, Lifestyles of the rich and famous. I just dated myself, but let's face it. That's the world's way of abundant living. But what Jesus is talking about is so much richer and so much poorer. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he said. The kingdom will be theirs. Jesus said, if you remember in chapter 10 of the Gospel of Mark, he met a young man who was very wealthy who said, teacher, I want to follow you. What should I do? And he said to this young man, you need to sell everything you have and give the money to the poor and then you can follow me. And the guy went away rejected, <laughs> rejected, dejected even, rejecting Jesus, you might say. And why? Because he didn't want to give up what he had. You see, this is where Jesus says something that is often misunderstood too. Many of the things Jesus says about money get misunderstood because they hit too close to home. And so we rewrite them in a way that makes us more comfortable. But Jesus said this, the rich cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Do you think he was really talking about people who are uh, wealthy just not being allowed because of their wealth? Or do you think he meant something more? Perhaps this is another place where we get into trouble interpreting Jesus because the Bible says to us that the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not evil, but the love of money is. So this man's problem, the rich who can't get into the kingdom of God are the people who refuse to leave behind all of their stuff and money and cultural authority. You know, the, we, you know when we're all, when it's all said and done, we're all looking for position among our peers. So it really doesn't matter where you live or what sort of work environment you're in, you all want to have the respect of your peers, your contemporaries, you're looking for position among them. And that's okay as far as it goes because relationships are essential to a healthy life. But, but if we're trying to position ourselves so that we can gain their approval, so that we can have more authority, more money and more stuff, then we get on that slippery slope Jesus calls the root of all evil, the thing that keeps you from getting into the kingdom. Honestly, when you watch someone run a foot race yesterday here in town, did you see anybody? I was driving back from the men's breakfast yesterday. Did you see anybody run along with a cart behind them? You know, they got the little number plate on the front and they're pulling a cart full of their stuff. Did, did anybody see that? No, I didn't either. Can you imagine trying to run a foot race, carrying a cart full of all your stuff behind you? Seriously, I, I really wonder, you know, um, that's what a lot of us are doing on our run to win the kingdom of Christ. But you know what they say, when you die, you come into the world naked and you go out naked, then nothing you have goes with you. Nothing. Now, I said God created you for a purpose, and I want to get to the real theme of today's message, because now that you've understood what running to win looks like and what it doesn't look like, then there are a few things you have to do to win. The number one thing you have to do to win is pray. Running to win this race requires regular prayer. You see, like I told you, God created you for a purpose. And if you're going to run to win, you got to know what you're running toward. You, you got to know the, the, the why and the how are all tied together with God's purpose for your life. And I wonder, honestly, I'd, it'd be interesting to ask everybody in the church, but I'm willing to bet you that the vast majority of us aren't really sure what God's purpose for our life is. We haven't really figured out why God put us here and what our purpose is. Now, I'll give you a hint. You all have some of that purpose in common. For example, Jesus said our purpose is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our strength, and with all our spirit, or, or mind, rather. I'm sorry, mind, strength, spirit, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So, so there's something we all have in common. Each of us has that purpose in common. Now, have any of you figured out if there's another purpose that God has in your life? Perhaps you've realized your purpose to be a mother, as a father. Perhaps you've realized your purpose in some 
career that you found yourself in. You know, I have a, a particular leadership uh, ethic that I use here as the pastor and the leader of a staff of really wonderfully gifted people. And my leadership ethic goes like this. I want to know if I can find what God has called these staff members to do and then help them to succeed in it. And so each member of the staff may come in thinking about the job they've been asked to take and whether or not that's, you know, something that they can do well or not. But if, if God has brought this person to me and it's meant to be, then between me and that staff member and God, we're going to figure out what God called them to do and we're going to get them doing it as soon as possible. Now, my logic in that is really very simple. If I was watching a baseball game and somebody was called to be a pitcher and I put them, you know, in as catcher or put them in as, as a long ball hitter or something like that, it probably wouldn't work out very well. If God sends me a pitcher, I got to give them on the, get them on the mound and get them pitching. And so it is with purpose. See, the one way that we all look at our purpose is the the way that other people look at us. Remember how I said everybody's watching how you run your race? More often than not, the people who watch you can help you see your purpose better than you can. You know, when I was in high school, I had friends who said, you know, Sinkhorn, I think you'll probably either be a preacher or a politician. Well, I can't tell you how hard I ran from both of those possibilities, and I'm really grateful I'm not a politician. Don't tell my friend the mayor, but he's really not a politician either as far as that goes. The kind that we're mad at right now in Washington, I wouldn't want anything to do with that, but that's another story. See, people will see those things in you a lot of times before you see them in yourself. And sometimes, even if it hurts, the people around us can tell us when we're not living into our purpose. They can tell us when we're trying to be something God hasn't called us to be. Boy, in ministry, I see this all the time. I always joke about this, and I get in trouble if, if, well, I don't have to worry about my colleagues watching this. They won't. <laughs> but, but if they heard me, they might get mad because I'm going to tell you right now, whenever I've run into a third or fourth generation preacher who's got John or Wesley in their name, I don't expect much. <laughs> I'm going to regret saying that on the Internet. But it's true. Don't go towards something you're not called to. Don't. And when people around you are saying, I, I really appreciate your enthusiasm, but this doesn't feel like you're calling, don't be hurt. Listen, it could be the voice of God. Know your purpose. And honestly, if you're a praying person, one of the things I guarantee you will happen is, is that you will hear these comments, you'll hear these observations as answers to your prayers. So this is what I want to talk about for just a minute with regard to prayer. Many of us would say that we pray, but do we really? You know, I got news for you. It doesn't count if you're driving down 56 and some truck swerves into your lane and you say, oh God, that doesn't count. That's not prayer. <laughs> All right. Doesn't count if you're riding an elevator that jerks suddenly and you say, oh God, that's not prayer. Prayer is a conversation with someone we respect immensely and who is very busy and very powerful and yet loves us so much that he's always got time for us. We are approaching the throne of the mightiest being ever. 
And through Jesus Christ, his son, we're welcomed there. And no matter how busy he is, our Heavenly Father always has time for you. Always. But we need to respect the person to whom we are speaking. We don't want to do them like we do our parents sometimes and only call when we need money or we're in trouble. We don't want to do the Lord the way we do some of our friends and associates where we just chatter incessantly at God, but we don't say much of anything. God doesn't like that any more than you and I do. Prayer is not that. Prayer is an intimate conversation with someone to whom you owe all of your allegiance, but you are also betrothed to getting to know each other the way young lovers get to know each other. You know, those conversations that you have when you're dating someone that you can just tell in your gut is the love of your life. And it starts with conversations about tastes and family and history and things that make you laugh and things that make you cry. And this intimate relationship forms that way. And this is the way we pray when we talk to God. Jesus taught us how to pray. Courtney said that to you. And then we said those words. He did not only mean that we would say those words, but that we would understand the meaning behind those words and pray thusly. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, remembering to whom we are speaking. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your absolute reign happen here and in me, and so on and so on. These are, the, these are the intimate words of the one who has the most intimate relationship with the Heavenly Father. The next time you pray the Lord's Prayer, consider really fleshing it out. I read a book years ago that uh, actually was by a Catholic author. It was really a good book. It, it was How to Pray the Lord's Prayer in an Hour. And it's a really excellent thing to do. You don't have to find the book. I'm going to give you every piece of information in the book you need right now. Take your time. Don't finish for an hour. Chapter one, end of the book. That's it. Think about, you know, if you need to, if you're, if you're like me and you need to break it down so that you don't undershoot the hour, just write down. I'm going to spend, you know, uh, 10 minutes on hallowed be thy name, you know, heavenly father, hallowed be thy name, you know, and just think about that. It's the perfect structure for prayer. Do it and watch what happens in your life. I can tell you that I know that prayer seems sort of weird and futile to us because we sometimes find ourselves praying and thinking, gosh, I don't even know if God's listening and I don't see the answers. Well, that probably has a little bit to do with our prayers. Let's be honest. A lot of times we pray like we're wishing on a genie. You know, we're, wish, we're, we're shaking the, the crazy eight ball. Now I'm really dating myself. And we're looking for a magic answer to our question. You know, we can't pray that way and expect God to bend to our will. That's not how this thing works. I know a lot of people find this difficult to believe, but if we're honest, a long time ago, our ancestors have said, Lord, let go of the wheel. I want to drive. And God said, okay, 
Okay. You know, if, if that's how you want it, that's the nature of free will. So when things happen to you, don't say God did it for God's purpose because that's not always true. Prayer is the only way you're going to sort that one out. So don't assume that every bad thing that happens to you happens because it's God's will. That's not really true. You know, I hate it when I go to a funeral home and I hear someone trying to comfort this grieving mother who's lost her teenage child in a traffic accident or something. And they say, well, it was God's will. And I want to shake them and say, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not God's will. This is not how God meant things to be. This is how things have turned out because of free will and sin. So what do you say to that person? Nothing. Just a little side report there. Just say nothing. Just weep with them. That's all you got to do. But how do we reconcile these things? How do we reconcile them? Well, simply put, God doesn't orchestrate everything that happens in our lives, but God is ready to make everything that happens in our lives work according to his good. That scripture promises in Ephesians, we can count on. So when something terrible happens in your life, when anything happens in your life, don't be tempted to give credit to God where credit is not due in this case, but rather ask the Lord, what are you going to do in and through me because of this? Because at the end of the day, prayer is an act of humility. Prayer is an admission that there is a God all-powerful, all-knowing and supreme in every way, and I'm not him. But I have his ear. God cares about my life and about me. And the truth is, God doesn't owe me anything, but God has saved me anyway for an eternal relationship with God. So putting yourself humbly before God saying, hallowed be thy name, is the essential element of prayer. Now, when we're running to the kingdom of Christ, we're running home to that person, that hallowed supreme being. And all he asks is that we give up a little TV and a little internet time once in a while and talk to him. Now, here's something I want to share with you because this is really important. This one was a big problem for me. I have known people over the years that I compare myself to and feel woefully inadequate. You've probably had the same experience, whether it's in, you know, some athletic endeavor or intellectual endeavor or what, you know. But, but I've compared myself as a pastor and as a, as a person who loves the Lord very much to people that I thought were better at praying than me. I knew a lady who was 103 years old and she got up every morning at 4 a.m. and prayed through a notebook full of prayers that she'd been writing down for <laughs> a lifetime. And I thought, oh boy, you know, if I want to be a saint like her, I guess I got to do that. But I'm not that way. I can't do that. I didn't write it down and I don't pray like that. I talk to God all day long, but I only have periodic moments when I'm really quiet before him. I generally, especially when the weather's nice, I like to go outside to a little patio we have in the backyard, and I sit out there for an hour or two at a time just experiencing the open air and listening for the voice of God. 
My dog likes to help me with that. And sometimes the prayer is really powerful when I'm in the car. You know, the prayer, I don't know about you, but, but the car and the shower are really great places to pray, in my experience. I don't know why that is. But in your car, you can put on some inspiring music like you heard from our praise team here. And, and then you start talking to God. And I'm telling you what, as a person who's been praying earnestly for most of my life, I have been amazed at how many times God directly answered my prayer. And I never once heard Charlton Heston's voice saying, yes, my son. What I heard was a line in a song, a remark by a DJ, or I saw a billboard. You know, and maybe the billboard said something like, yes. And it's like, okay, Lord, I get it. I just know in my heart of hearts, the Lord just answered my prayer. I've had this experience so many times. Now that I'm a grandfather, I, I get this joy of hearing the Lord speak through little tiny voices of my grandchildren. I heard the Lord speak through little Jane's just tiny little two-week-old cooing. You know, there's momentous power in the voice of the Lord. And if you're listening to it, listening for it, it will change everything about your day. But you have to devote a certain amount of energy to it. It will not happen accidentally. You've got to give up some things in order to make room for other things. And that is the way it is with prayer. You want to run this race to win? You have to make time for prayer. And it isn't so much about the time you spend, but what you give up to make room for prayer. That's really important. Come on, let's face it. Sometimes we're bored, we're tired, and we just sit down and turn on the TV and watch whatever's on. Right? Could you give up 15 minutes of that to talk to the Lord? And another 15 to just listen. TVs have got audio channels on them that play really good music, a lot of them. So it's just a thought. Being disciples means that we are people accepting the discipline of our master and following that. So when we say we're being disciples... That comes before seeking disciples and changing the world. So being disciples means we take on the discipline of our master. And guess what? Our master prays a lot and puts a lot of things aside in order to pray. And so we must go and do likewise. Let us pray. Well, Lord, we've talked about prayer and now we're doing it, but I pray and earnestly implore you to awaken something in our spirits that causes us to leave here changed forever and to live in a new way, even if it's a small adjustment. Because, Lord, we love you and we want to know you when we get to your house. And we can't wait to be there. Oh, Lord, make it so, we pray. Amen.